0: Seriously, let's look now to the Word of God. We're studying the Sermon on the Mount this year and the Beatitudes in this spring and summer, so let's take a look at uh, Matthew chapter 5 and read once again the passage there that contains the Beatitudes. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you the word of the lord Thanks be to God. you may be seated We're at verse 8. Verse 8, blessed of the pure in heart, for they shall see God. First, we need to remind ourselves what it means about our heart. The heart, in both testaments, follow pretty consistently the idea that this is the seat. It's not just the organ that pumps blood but it's your innards. It's the seat of the deepest soul. It's the seat of knowledge. That it is the place where you do your thinking. It is the seat of emotions. It's the place where you feel and have your, your emotions and your feelings that are vital to your daily life. It's also the seat of volition. It is where your choosing mechanism is. It's where you determine purposes, make choices, and then follow through on those. The soul, the heart, sometimes are used interchangeably in Scripture. It's the center of our being. It's our inner man. And Jesus taught us in other places that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Out of the heart are the issues of life. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if we're to be pure in heart, it's that part of ourselves, our true selves, that must be affected by this purity and by this cleansing. Why do you suspect that our hearts need cleansing, that they need to be made pure? Well, is it perhaps that our hearts as the source of our thinking, feeling, and choosing really are the seedbed for all that we do. And we develop from our thoughts and our attitudes of our heart the values that we assess in our soul, we start creating habits. And from habits as we practice these things, we develop a character. And our character then Is that which truly characterizes us and that for which we shall stand in judgment before the Lord. What kind of person were you on earth? What kind of person are you in your daily life? Now, we've already said that this material was addressed to the disciples and the crowds were there, but the disciples were the ones that were addressed. And we've said, you cannot accomplish any of these things poor in spirit, mourning, hungering, thirst after righteousness, being meek, any of these things, without having, first of all, the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in your life, having been converted to Jesus Christ, having turned from your sins to Christ for salvation. And I want us to kind of sketch through. I may say this morning, nothing that you don't already know. It may be true every Sunday morning but I'm here to make sure certain points get through to your soul and make sure that I in my discharge of my duty as a watchman on the wall responsible for your soul have given you a clear and full picture of your condition and your standing before God and make sure you understand clearly the gospel and the gospel has both law and grace how can you tell if your heart is pure or not. Well, a good place to start is just take out the old tablet of stone. Take out the commandments. Recall Moses. Think about those important rubrics of commandments. Simple, straightforward. Let's review just a few. Honor thy father and thy mother. If there is in your heart any rebellion, any disrespect for authority, not only authority of your parents when you're under their care and government, but also authority in society, authority in the church, duly constituted godly authority. If you have a spirit of rebellion and resistance to these things that is an ungodly rebellion and an ungodly resistance. If your heart is in a stubborn frame of mind with respect to that which you should yield and obey, then your heart's not pure. Thou shalt not steal. If you harbor in your heart any larceny, any greed, any covetousness, then your heart's not pure. Thou shalt not kill if in your heart is any malice, hatred, spirit of violence, murder, even bitter resentments. Your heart's not pure. Thou shalt not commit adultery if there is in your heart. Let's just talk about what the word adultery means for just a moment. it's a good old English word that comes from two good old Latin words. Odd, A-D, and alt, A-U-L-T. Add means to or toward, to move to or toward. Alt means the other, the alternative, the alternate. And it has to do in terms of sexual morality with adultery having to do with when a husband and a wife, a man and a woman come together in sacred Matrimony, if either one of them goes to the other, goes to another person, a man goes to another woman, a woman to another man in life, and moves toward them in, 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 a, in a, that intimate way, that affectionate way, that emotional way, you committed adultery. Alt also means other. If you go to the opposite of what you should in the normal, natural, created order way between a man and a woman. This involves homosexuality, both of women and of men. And any perversion and deviation, combination, permutation thereof, it is an alternative, it's going to the other. The other than what God prescribed the day He created them male and female and brought them together as husband and wife putting together a union that no man can break asunder. Not just break asunder these two people that are married, but break asunder the whole notion of one man, one woman for one lifetime. If these are the thoughts and the actions of your life, your heart is not pure. If there is lust in your heart, filthiness, pornography, Homosexuality, your heart's not pure. Shall I keep going? We're almost through. Thou shalt not bear false witness. If there is in your heart deceit, prevarication, swearing falsely, any duplicity or dishonesty toward the actual facts, then you have witnessed falsely and your heart's not pure. And finally, thou shalt not covet. The word literally means to desire strongly. Covetousness is a strong desire. This, by the way, was the sin that the Apostle Paul testifies in his letters that convicted his heart when he realized that he was indeed a covetous man, a covetous person. And it involves such things as lust, desire, greed, envy. It's interesting just to note here that um, there's objects to the things that you're not to covet. You shall not covet a man's ox, nor his ass, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant. Those are the means of production. In an agrarian economy, that's your machinery. That's what brings about the productivity. That's what enables you to make a living. That's what enables you to have the finances you have. Those are your private property, and you are to engender through productivity and hard work and thrift and industry. You are to accumulate those things that you need to have to support your family and those for whom you are responsible. And to covet someone else's paycheck or a portion of it. And to think that you're entitled to it is a violation of this commandment of the greatest magnitude. And what we have in our own country and around the world is the politics of envy. State-ordained covetousness, where we take from one and give to the other. And it's a thorough violation of God's commandments. And if you participate in that system politically where you vote for the candidate that can get you the largesse of the national treasury, you are participating in that particular sin. Origen, the ancient Christian father said, every sin stains the soul. How can we turn defiling thoughts to pure thoughts defiling feelings vile affections to pure motives how can we turn nefarious purposes to pure goals what is at stake Let's lead you through, as I am wont to do, a few verses of Scripture. And we'll start in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms. Turn if you have your Bibles there. If you don't, there's one in the pew. And if you don't want to do that, just listen carefully. Psalm 24. See if any of this sounds familiar to you. But it asks the provoking question, Who shall ascend the hill of God? And who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, who does not swear deceitfully, he will receive the blessing from the Lord. And then here's the gospel truth and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 that the salvation of the Lord, the righteousness of the Lord is revealed and it's in Christ Jesus our Savior. So that's where we must turn. When we find that our hearts are impure, when the realization comes to us by the conviction of God's Holy Spirit that we are not clean in heart, we are not pure. And by the way, that word "pure" is the word for clean and cleansing, bathing. We're not clean in our heart. Then we need to think along these lines. David in that great penitential psalm worthy of reading every verse of it, but we'll just read a couple. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me And I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, a pure heart, a cleansed heart, and renew a right spirit within me." That's where our purification lies. It's interesting in the Old Testament there were a number of rituals. There were rituals that involved cleansing And the cleansing rituals were usually with water, clean water, living water on most occasions. On a special occasion it was water that had been mixed with the ashes of a red heifer that had been burned and sacrificed. Kind of an unusual thing. A lot of unusual things in the Old Testament. But if you'll stay with it a little while and study it a little bit, you'll see how profoundly significant it is. And almost all of these things, when rightly understood, point us to some facet of the work of Christ for our souls. And so it is with the great great cleansing rituals that are found in the book of Leviticus. They're rituals to show that there's, there's cleansing. There needs to be a purging agent to come upon us. That which cleanses the outer body is water. Water cleansing. But that won't get it. What we need is we need something to cleanse our hearts. To purify our very being, our very soul. Something to wash away the defilement and the sin and all of the things wrong that we we feel and we understand is wrong with us when we read God's righteous and holy commandments and His expectations for us. And so the law points us to these sins and we we say we need the cleansing. It's interesting that John in his gospel records some signs that Jesus did when He was here on earth performing His miracles and teaching and preaching and living among us as He did 2,000 years ago historically. He had certain signs. The first one was he turned water into wine at a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. He turned water into wine. Water, in fact, the very water pots that they had, big 20-gallon water pots that were filled with water, were there for, the Bible tells us, what they, those, that water was there for. It was for the purification rituals. It was for all the cleansing rituals that the Jewish people did. It was for the the baptizing and and the bathing and, and the washing that was done ceremonially. And it was there for the wedding party. Jesus took that outward cleansing element of water and changed it into wine. Which is symbolic all through Scripture in both Testaments. Of the blood of Christ. Of which we shall partake. Wine symbolizing the blood of Christ. What Many things the Lord's telling us in that sign is. That it's not enough to be clean on the outside. To just have a good shower. Sometimes you feel pretty good when you get a good shower. You feel kind of like a new person. Especially if you've been working out real hard. Or it's a very hot day. There is a refreshing to that. But it's nothing, nothing like what we need spiritually. Spiritually, we need the cleansing blood of Christ. The blood of Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. All things are purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And that is why Christ endured what He endured in His death. The scourging and the beating, the being nailed to a cross, the dripping of the blood, and then finally the pouring of the blood. As God, as the prophet Zechariah said, I will open in Jerusalem a fountain for the cleansing of my people. We sing that old song, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And that's what happens in the blood of Christ. There's a washing, there's a cleansing, there's a purifying. Finally, I wanna just note the rest of that particular beatitude which says, blessed are those who um, are pure in heart for they shall see God. No man had seen God at any time. Even Moses, who was face to face with God, who heard the voice of God, who, wrote down, who, had, who God wrote down the commandments and, and so forth. Even Moses. No one had the access to God that Moses did. And Moses was not even allowed to see the Lord. All he let Moses see was just the backside of his shadow as he walked away from the cleft in the rock. What does it mean we shall see God? Well, this imagery here is that of the Beautific vision. It's the vision in the Old Testament where uh, in, the, in the book of Kings, uh, Queen Sheba of the South came to visit Solomon in First Kings 10, came to, to visit Solomon and she was ushered into his presence and there she saw the Magnificent of the splendor. No one was arrayed like Solomon in all of his glory Yet Jesus said, a greater than Solomon is here. Even Queen Esther, as she was in the Persian court, was ushered in to the king. And the the privilege that she had, Queen Esther had, was that she was able to see the face of the king. And that's what the symbolism and the imagery here is saying. We can then see the face of the Lord if we're pure in heart. Now let me give you a couple of admonitions and then a conclusion and we're through. Timothy or Paul in writing to Timothy has given us a few things that we need to hear. Listen to what he says. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's in letter one. In letter two, Paul writes to Timothy and follows through on all of that but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal the Lord knows those that are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver but also of wood and clay some for honorable use and some for dishonorable Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy. And one of the notions in holiness, there are several ideas in the big idea of holiness, but one of them is cleansing. Set apart, useful to the master of the house for every good work. Flee youthful passions some of us don't have an opportunity anymore to flee youthful passions but believe me the wretchedness of the soul does not decline as you age who shall deliver me from this vile body but nevertheless speaking to a young man the Apostle Paul says flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness faith love and peace. Writer of Hebrews says pursue peace without which no one shall see the Lord. Paul continues here, pursue, flee youthful passions and pursue faith, love, peace, along with which those who are called on the Lord from a pure heart. And finally this notion of seeing the Lord. I'll take you to the latter part of the New Testament, to the book of John. This will be our conclusion, our application as I read this. This is John imparting some wonderful news to the Christians in that first century. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, We shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God.